Marty Johnson was a man from Minnesota. He had grown up in an adopted family, never knew his birth parents, but he was now an adult, had at least one child, and wanted to figure out, who do I ultimately belong to? Who ultimately do I come from? So he started doing some research, doing some work, and eventually he received a letter in the mail one day. This letter shocked him and amazed him. As he opened it up, it said, congratulations, we want to tell you about your family history. And he learned about his mom, and he learned about his father. He learned about how he had come to be and then given up for adoption. But the thing that interested him the most, or at least something that surprised him the most, was they said, congratulations, you're a part of the royal Ogike dynasty in Nigeria. You are a prince. You are royalty. In fact, he's the oldest son of the ruler there in that city, that town in Nigeria. And so when his father dies, he will be the ceremonial leader of his people. All of a sudden, opens a letter, I'm royalty. He took a trip 6,200 miles over to Nigeria to, to see his people, to meet his father. They pulled into the driveway there and people were just jumping up and down. The prince is here, the prince is here. So excited to meet him. They were so welcoming. They toured him around the town. He got to see this place that if he chooses, one day he'll be the ceremonial leader of. He doesn't currently have any plans to move to Nigeria. He's happy there in Minnesota with his family. But his daughter was pretty excited about the thought of being an actual legitimate princess. A letter changed his life when he realized he was royalty. You know, I have another letter that I brought with me this morning, and it has a similar message. So we're going to open up this letter, not simply the Bible, we're opening up the letter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, focusing in on verse 9, some good news for each one of us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you, and this applies, I believe, to all believers. If you're a Christian, Peter is now speaking to you. He says, but you are a chosen people. And then what's the next phrase? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Whether you knew it or not this morning when you woke up, you are royalty. If you're a Christian, you're royal. Because you are a child adopted into the family of the king of the universe. Last time I checked, that's pretty awesome. You're royalty. A holy nation. Part of a chosen people. We have this phrase that has come from, from this concept. It's called the priesthood of all believers, right? Peter wasn't the only one to write about it. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one that rules all the kings, 
This is who we're talking about. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us, verse 6, to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. A priestly kingdom. We are a royal priesthood. We're descendants through faith. We're seeing this of the promises in Galatians. The promises that belong to Abraham also belong to us. And we're adopted. We're grafted in as Gentiles. Grafted into this royal family through our belief in Jesus. And we are not only royal, but God is also calling us all to be priests. That's kind of an interesting concept. The priesthood of all believers. What does it mean? Well, in very simple terms, what does a priest do? A priest is somebody who helps connect people to God. Each one of us, no matter who we are, if we have expressed belief in Jesus Christ, are called to be priests, functioning, helping to bring people to God. Jesus is our great high priest. We serve him as royal priests in this sacred line of faith. You know, Paul recognized that this was our responsibility also. Go to the book of Acts. Acts. It's kind of a hard word to say sometimes. Go to that book. Book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 47. Acts 13, verse 47. We talk a lot about the Ten Commandments. Well, Paul mentions here another commandment we don't talk about as often, but we should. Acts 13, 47. For this is what the Lord has suggested would be good for us. This is what the Lord hinted at. No? It says, this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you to be a what? A light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Basically, anybody who doesn't know about me, you're called, you're commanded to be a light to them. And he's actually quoting uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 49, verse 6. So Paul is not basing this theology upon something new which Jesus introduced. Paul is basing it upon something founded in the Old Testament. And we'll see Peter is also doing the same thing. This idea of all of us being together in the mission, in the ministry, in the priesthood is not something new in the New Testament. It was introduced in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Beginnings, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God's promise here to Abraham. To Abram, rather. His name has not been changed at this point. God's call to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 2. When you get there, say amen. And if you said amen, I hope you have a Bible. It seems like sometimes people say, amen, don't even have a Bible in front of them. (laughs) Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. This is the beginning of that official nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will make you a blessing. God blesses in order to make us a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And how many peoples of the earth? All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. As God set up the nation 
of Israel that was coming out of Abraham, his descendants, he's saying to them, all the nations will be blessed through you. It's not simply talking about Abraham. It's talking about his line, his lineage, his heritage. The people, the nation were designed to be a blessing. Now, we've gotten this in some circles a little mixed up. Uh, I saw an ad on TV a while ago. Maybe you've seen these ads too, where it's calling people to send their money to Israel. Israel needs money. We need to support the nation of Israel. Send your money. And, and you know what? It's all based upon this belief that if I pay literal Israel today, literal money, God will be able to literally bless us. In, in Galatians, though, we're studying how those promises uh, have a spiritual application. And anybody today who, who says, yes, I want to be a Christian, is grafted in and a part of Israel today. Uh, but it's interesting how even our, our attitude towards nations, towards the nation of Israel, has been kind of affected by this because we feel like if we turn our back on Israel, God's going to turn our back on us. It's based on this verse. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't support Israel. I'm just saying we should do it for the right reasons, not for theologically unsound reasons. See, God's plan was for the world to be blessed spiritually through Abraham. Uh, it's not this campaign where if you give $1,000 to this ministry, uh, that they, you, you know, the Lord will be able to bless you because of the seed money that you're giving. No, it's not that. God's blessings usually don't come financially. They usually come in other ways. But God was saying to Abraham, I want everybody to be blessed through you. And so eventually we get to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. God has just brought his people out of slavery. And he's taking them into the land that he will give to them. But before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he calls them to a very special and holy calling. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When you go to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you look at it in the Greek, and you look at the Greek version of this passage, the Septuagint, it's the same wording. Uh, Peter was quoting from this passage. Uh, not a new concept in the, Old, in, the, in the New Testament, a concept based out of the Old Testament where God is saying to the people, I want all of you to help connect people to me. You're all involved in this. It's not just one person who's elected that's going to be the one doing the ministry. I want all of you to do the ministry. Sure, we get different roles, we get different responsibilities, but all of it is towards the same mission. And you'll see something interesting here. This is the passage where it talks about how God instructed the people to put barrier, a fence, around Mount Sinai so that they, they wouldn't touch the mountain and die because God was so holy. He was talking about his holiness. But there's some really interesting stuff here. Just after he's called everybody to be a part of this ministry, everybody, we get to verse 12. 
put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be very careful that you do not go up, on the, mount, up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. So we have this very fierce warning, this very stiff warning, which we could talk about another time if you're interested. But then it says this. It says, only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. Uh, now, a lot of your Bibles probably have the word to in there. Does your Bible have the word to in there, up to the mountain? Okay, near the mountain. Um, we talked about this in my Hebrew exegesis class, and my professor noted something. He noted the word to is not in the Hebrew. Uh, it just literally says, uh, when the, only when the ram's horn sounds as long, a long blast, they may go up the mountain. Because there's this idea that nobody except for Moses was supposed to go up the mountain. And there's some debate among scholars. Some say, well, they could go uh, closer to the mountain, but they couldn't go up the mountain. If you talk to Richard Davidson, uh, he's written a lot of um, awesome books, awesome Adventist scholar. He's, he says, and he suggests, God was actually, after that three days of preparation, was going to call everybody to come up on the mountain. Um, now you'll see some things later on in the chapter where God's saying don't, Moses is saying don't. He argues that this is after the people have rejected that experience by fear, uh, that God is saying, no, you can't do it. And there's some room for disagreement, there's some room for debate, but the point is, God wanted his people to be closer to him. After three days, in some way and in some fashion, God wanted his people that he was calling all of them to be priests, royal priests. He wanted them to be nearer to him. And look at uh, Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 5. We get a hint that God wanted them closer, but they rejected that experience. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5. It says there in Deuteronomy 5, verse 5, At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. So Moses is saying, you know what? I had to stand up there and I had to declare what God said to you because you were afraid and you didn't come up. Now whether that was all the way up or whether that was up to the base or beyond the barrier, uh, in either case, the people, because of their fear, rejected being closer to God. And they said, you know what? We just want somebody else to do it for us. Let's, just let somebody else speak to God, Moses. You do the, the work. And so out of this, it seems, there was this ministry developed. But it doesn't seem like that was God's original plan. He said, I'm calling you to be priests. I'm calling you all of you, to have a part in the work. Everybody can do something for God. So in the New Testament, Peter picks up on these words again, and he reminds the believers. Let's go back there, 1 Peter chapter 2. God has called you. You're a chosen people, 1 Peter 2.9. You're a royal priesthood a holy nation, 
As you look at Hebrews, you see that Jesus has broken down the, the dividing wall. He, he's torn the curtain through his sacrifice. People can approach Jesus, God, directly. Peter reminds the people, everybody is called. Everybody is chosen. You're part of a holy nation. Look at the reason, the second half of the verse. He says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Your purpose as a royal priesthood, church, your purpose as being called and chosen by God is to praise the one that called you out of darkness and into the beautiful light. Have you ever been in a cave or a mine before? I've been up in some mines up near Sonora, and some of them are kind of scary and kind of dangerous because they can collapse at times and so forth. Uh, but I've been in some caves, and when you've been in there long enough, and you're starting to come back out again, and you can start to see the entrance of the cave, your eyes have been so dilated from the darkness during this whole time, you start to see the light, and to me, it always looks so beautiful. The light and the colors look stronger and brighter, and, and the light just looks amazing for the first couple of minutes as you exit the cave. When you've realized the darkness and how dark it is, when you see the light, it looks so beautiful. And if you've experienced guilt from sin in any capacity in your life, and you've experienced the freedom that Jesus wants to offer each one of us, it's a good, good freedom. You don't have to, the good news is you don't have to go to the depths of sin and live a crazy lifestyle just so that Jesus can look even better, right? You don't have to do that. Uh, the guilt that we could feel from even just one sin is enough for us to say, wow, God is so good. He has forgiven me and cleansed me, and I am so eternally grateful. As royal priests for God, that's the message that we bear to the world. God is good. He's loving. He wants to forgive you, and he's coming back. So why don't you accept the invitation? That's the offer that he makes. That's the offer that we are called to make. So how do we make this practical for our lives? This is a simple message. It's not complicated. How do we understand it affecting you and me in our work week, in our school week, in our just regular weeks. How do we understand it? Number one, I want to suggest to you, the priesthood of all believers means that everybody has a mission. Everybody has a mission. You know, if you read the book Desire of Ages, all about Jesus and so forth, it says there on page 195, every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. If you accept Jesus into your life, you're a missionary now. You've been given a mission, the Great Commission, this royal priesthood mission where we are called to do something for God. So the priesthood of all believers means, number one, everybody has a mission, and number two, nobody's elevated above one another. You know, we did some, some prayers, some ordaining to some various positions this morning, but that doesn't put anybody above anybody else. You know, I was talking with 
our ministerial secretary, and he was talking about what it means to be an officer of the conference. And he said, you know, I look at what Elder Kano, our conference president, has to go through, and he said, you couldn't pay me $200,000 a year to do what he does. That's not his salary, right? He has a pastor's salary uh, and maybe one or two, a couple of percent more. But he said, as I look at all the travel and all the meetings and everything that they have to go through, I would not want it. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. That leadership position is not an elevated position. It just means you have to go to a lot more meetings and you have a lot more stress in your life and you get a lot more complaints. You know, a camp meeting, poor Pastor Cano has all these people coming up to him with, with issues and complaints and, oh, I would not want that. You know, our former conference president, uh, Elder Page, Jerry Page and Janet, they went off to the general conference to serve up there, and people were saying, oh, congratulations, a promotion. And they were saying, no, it's not a promotion. You know, they get to serve in a greater capacity, but they have to fly around the world so many days of the year doing ministry, but it is so tiring on them. It is so tiring on them. That wasn't a, a position they were excited to accept. They only accepted it because they felt like God wanted them to do it. Otherwise, they were so happy just staying here, having a house in Corskull, and driving to the conference office every day of the week. Royal priesthood means, number one, we all have a mission, and number two, nobody's elevated above anybody else. You're all essential in God's mission. Everybody here is essential. Um, this flashed on the screen accidentally earlier. Uh, I saw it this week... And I thought you'd appreciate it. Today's sermon is entitled, The Priesthood of All Believers. Ironically, I will be doing all the talking. <laughs> so there's sometimes some cognitive dissonance in our minds, like, wait, he's telling us we're all important and we're all priests, but how come he's the only one talking? <laughs> if you want to do a sermon sometime, talk to me, and we'll figure something out. But, but the saying that we're all priests doesn't mean that we all have the same responsibilities, Right? Being equal doesn't mean that we all have equal jobs or equal opportunities. My wife and I are, are totally equal, but there's no way I'll ever be able to have a baby. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but at the same time, I'll never have that same infant connection that the mom can have with the baby. There's something special, uh, I'm told, that I'll, that I'll miss out on. All of us have different talents, different abilities. God calls us to be priests for him in different ways. I brought some tools along with me this morning. Just a couple of them. So what do we have here? What's this good for? Okay, nailing, banging things, making noise. Okay, what's this? And what's this good for? Yeah, poking things or putting screws in or taking screws out. Oops, falling on the floor. What's this? And what's it good for? Making sure your pictures on the wall are straight, right? <laughs> At least for a while. Or showing you that the builders didn't put your walls quite vertical sometimes. You know, what? What about this? Right. 
it helps, helps us measure things. Um, and then we've got this, this thing. What's this for? It can do a lot of things, right? So these tools are all different. Um, they're not the same, but they all are important. Right? Now, some of you are thinking, well, he has a screw driver, and he has a screw gun. So this has obviously got to be better than this, right? Not always, right? Yeah, sometimes this is too big. You've got to get into small spaces. And so this, exactly. This needs to be charged regularly. What if you lose power and you can't charge the batteries? Then this is just really heavy, and it's not helping you, right? I can take this anywhere. I can go to Texas, where there's quarter of a million people out of power, and I can do something with it. Uh, and it's never going to run out of power unless my arm runs out of power. <laughs> Differences uh, are good, because this can do what this can't do. And even though this is electric and, and, and that's cool, it can't do what this can do, right? It would be very hard. I mean, I guess you could use this bottom part and measure out how far this is, but you'd need this to even know what this was and then move this a bunch of times. That's not. And, and this does things that the hammer can't do. The hammer makes a lot of noise. You feel really good when you're just banging some nails in, you know, or pulling some stuff out. Uh, but the fine precision work of getting things level, uh, the hammer can never do. All of us are different tools in God's tool chest. We're the priesthood of all tools, right? The toolbox is full of different types, types of people, and God needs all of us. And maybe you're that specialty tool that, that only comes out every once in a while, but super important. Uh, I have something I'd love to do on my car, but it requires a very specialized tool that I don't have. Uh, I suppose I could buy it. I'm, it's not a big priority for me right now. But unless I want to wreck my car, I'm not going to do it because I don't have that tool. Uh, I don't know what your skill sets are. I don't know what the gifts God has given you, but I know if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. You're a part of this royal priesthood. God has called you to be a part of this body of believers, called you to do something. We're not all called to preach, but all of us are called to spread the word. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your community, uh, in your mobile home park, wherever you are, God has called you to be a part of this great mission. You know, God can use anybody, and the Bible illustrates this. He used Moses. Moses didn't feel like he could speak adequately. He didn't feel like he was prepared. Well, he said, you know, what do you have? Well, I have this rod, right? Uh, with a rod and God, you can do great things. Bring to God what you have, and God can use you in powerful ways. Jeremiah said, I'm just a youth. I'm just young. I can't do anything. I'm a, I'm a kid. God said, before you were even born, I knew you. I had called you. Kids can do things that their parents can't do sometimes because people are nice to kids, not always nice to adults. Uh, the disciples, they were unqualified educationally. They just were fishermen, a lot of them. What can these untrained people do? Well, they turned the world upside down. 
And because of these uneducated fishermen, these tradesmen, because of that, we are now able to accept salvation because they kept preaching the word. Um, Mary, mother of Jesus, she gave birth to the Messiah. Uh, Just a young girl, as it were. The other Mary, she gave all she had to Jesus by breaking open that perfume, uh, by recognizing Jesus as Messiah when everybody else didn't. Um, And Jesus said, what she did will always be remembered throughout the world, and it has. What about Balaam's donkey? You don't feel like you can speak for God? Well, the donkey never even thought about speaking because I'm guessing donkeys don't think like that. But God used the donkey to speak for him, and that's why he called people like me to be a pastor, right? He can use anybody. Whether you're a lowly donkey or whatever, God can use you, and he will use you if you just say yes. Mark Finley is a name that most of you know. He was in Mexico on a trip, and he'd heard about this guy that was this powerful soul winner. Had won more people to Jesus than anybody else in the region. And Pastor Finley, being that evangelist-minded person, said, I've got to meet this guy. I want to know what exactly he's doing to win so many souls. And when he saw the man, he was actually pretty shocked because the guy had dwarfism. So he was really short. He was a little person. Um, That wasn't exactly the build that he pictured being this powerful evangelist. So he said to him, sir, what's your method that you use? And the man said, my method is simple. I go like this. Pastor Finley didn't understand it. (laughs) What does this have to do with anything? The man said, see, I just go around my neighborhood. I take this DVD of this Bible prophecy series. I go to my neighbors. I say, hey, you want to see a good DVD? They say, sure. He goes inside, hits the button. The the disc uh, holder comes out. He goes like this, sticks the CD in, DVD in, pushes play, and people watch the, the meetings, and many of them give their hearts to the Lord. Now, his method was just doing that. Here, watch a DVD with me. Hey, you want to... Get baptized? Give your heart to Jesus? Sure. I want to do that. This guy with physical limitations is winning so many people to Jesus through a simple, simple means. What's our excuse? We are royal because of our royal God. We are called to be priests ministering to everybody. Whether you serve in an official capacity Uh, as a deacon or an elder or something else like the deaconess, uh, no matter what your uh, position, all of us are called. So the question this morning I have for you is, what will your response be? Will you say yes to whatever God wants to do in and through you? God needs all of us. You have something special to give. You can reach people that I can't reach. You can befriend people that I can't befriend. You know stuff that I don't know, and you can do things that I can't do. All of us. Number one, have a mission, and all of us. Nobody is more important in this mission. All of us need all of us. You know, we need a lot of help in our series coming up less than two months from now. Sign-ups in the back. If you haven't signed up already, there are a lot of ways you can serve. If the lines are full, just put your name under the line. It's all right. We'll take care of you. We'll get you involved. 
Everybody can do something. So today, as I close in prayer, you know, we, we had uh, laying on of hands uh, for those in these positions, but you know, all of us are a part of this royal priesthood, right? Uh, and so I just want to have a special prayer of dedication to that for all of us as a church. So in a moment, as we pray, I'm just going to ask you to, to get next to somebody and put your hand on them. Not holy hands, just hands of affirmation saying, God wants to use you in ministry in some way, in some fashion. So let's, let's uh, just kind of, if you have to scoot down, uh, let's just get together and just place your hand on somebody's shoulder or, or, or whatever you want to do. Make sure everybody feels just the love of God through you um, as we affirm all of us are involved in ministry. All of us are called. All of us are chosen. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's humbling to think that you even want to use us. You see our record. You know where we've been, what we've done, the things we struggle with, the character flaws that we have. But yet in spite of it all, you still have called us. We know, Lord, the ones that you've called, you will equip. You will help us. You will use us. And so today, Father, we're just placing our hands on each other as a way of saying um, in a tangible way, you matter to God. You're important in this mission. All of us can do something. Maybe we don't know what that something is yet, Father, but I pray that you'll reveal it to us. Show us how we can be used by you. Make us more like you and give us joy as we serve you more fully. This is our prayer. Let all God's royal priests say, Amen. Have a great Sabbath. We'll see you soon.